Okay, sorry, I didn't... Uh, I'm learning, forgive me. So uh, we skipped the prayer. Okay, anyway, so we're in the chapter two, but I was saying, I send you via email my, uh, Mike Ziegler, who is the Lutheran Hour Ministry um, speaker, uh, the sermon that he preached on Daniel chapter 1. And for those who are here, there's a hard copy for you. But for those who were not here last week, let me just share <clears throat> with you that um, the names, you know, we've always talked about the importance of names. And Mike Ziegler brings that out also in his. And I shared this with you like, I don't know, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, if you remember the, the definition of each of the names. Daniel, God is my judge. Hananiah, God is compassionate. Mishael, who is a God like you. And um, Azariah, is, God is our help, or he's, he will be with us. So the Hebrew names specifically say something even in the text, and you're going to find that actually also that has been brought up by the Bible um, in the sermon that was given by Mike Ziegler. Um, and so last week we concentrated immensely on the prayer that Daniel prayed. And if you remember, the prayer specifically exalted and glorified the name of God, that he's the only one who is wise He's the only one who knows all things. He's the only one who reveals all things. And in his hands, everything is evident. And so it is very important for us to remember these things. And then at the end of the prayer, uh, God is to be thanked and praised because of the gift he gives in response to prayer. You know, uh, we pray often in our church, and I'm not ashamed to have a longer prayer list than other churches may have, only because I believe in the power of prayer. Why? Two factors. One, Jesus invited us to pray, right? Many places in the scripture, ask the Father in my name. But the one, one section of scripture that really is meaningful to me a, because I know the word of God, but secondly, in the Greek, it is more evident so than it is in the English, where in Matthew 7, 7, it says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock, it shall be open unto you. But the Greek verb there, it is in the participle, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So don't just say, dear God, help me today, and that's the end of the conversation. You just keep doing that that's what God wants to do. And so it's very important for us to do so. And when the prayers are answered, to give thanks to God, and you've heard me last Sunday, if you were paying, and I apologize that I forgot to turn the microphone on when I was praying, and I told Ben, I says, next time that happened, you come and tap me on the shoulder. Well, you know, I'm, I'm involved, and I don't know how I shut it off, but anyhow, so that is something very helpful to do so, but in the prayers last week... You have a pretty loud voice. Well, thank God for that. Because <laughs> I, I just I get so excited when I preach the incarnation of Christ. The, the one thing that I did mention, we did pray for the COVID, but I also thanked God for those who have been relieved from the COVID 
Pastor um, Randy Sturzenbaker and his wife Vanda, as well as Timothy Cook, you know. And so that's wonderful. And now Tina, uh, our dear friend, she's out of the hospital, thank God. She still has oxygen, but she's out of the hospital, so that's very helpful. Anyway, so when you think of the prayer that Daniel prayed, you know, he didn't pray that God would smite the king or to kill the king or anything. He says, Give me the wisdom to show that you are the only true God there is. Because all of the uh, wise men and the counselors and the people of wisdom, so to speak, says, it can't be done. True, it can't be done. But God can do all things. He's not limited. And one of the things I shared last Sunday, um, I believe during our voters meeting, was that sometimes we make God so little because we don't come to him with big petitions, you know, and we even have a hymn with that. Anyway, so now we are in Daniel chapter 2, 14 through 23. So let me read that portion. Um, Daniel recounts and explains Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue. So as we begin in verse 14, uh, 24, excuse me. As a result of this, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. Okay, by the way, did you guys know that the name Babylon comes from the Hebrew Babel? Did you guys know that? That's Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Babel, B-A-B-E-L. In Hebrew, yeah. Babel, Babylonian, it's in the same location, which is modern-day Iraq. So we, it, it is interesting that it, history repeats itself. Anyway. So they as, probably had the tower, or partially in the, the tower in the Babylon? Is that what you're saying? Like no, but it's the town. I mean, the Lord, you know, it's, I mean, that's a long time ago. You're talking about 6,000 years ago. So whatever, if, I've never been to Iraq because I'm not permitted since I have <clears throat> an Israeli citizenship and I have an Israeli passport, so I couldn't go to the Arab countries. Maybe now I can, but I don't really have a desire to go into Muslim land. But it probably wouldn't surprise me if there are some evidence. You know, I don't know how much archaeological digs has been done there, but, you know, the earthquakes and the wars and... Israelites aren't allowed in Arab countries? Jewish, Jewish people Jewish. aren't. Really? No. They're enemies. I know, but you're not a Jew. I know, but I got an Israeli passport. Oh. I live under Israel. Anyway, so <clears throat> just, just a side point. Babylon literally comes from Babel. He went and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will explain the meaning to the king. And notice again... Earlier, the wise men asked the king to give him the dream, to tell them the dream so that they can explain it. Now, Daniel says, um, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king and I will explain the meaning to the king. Then Ariach immediately brought Daniel before the king. This is what he said to him. I have found a man from the exiles of Judah who will make known the meaning to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, 
Are you able to make known to me the dream that I saw and its meaning? Daniel answered before the king and said, The mystery that the king is asking, no wise man, soothsayer, magician, or diviners are able to reveal to the king. I love that statement. However, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the latter days. Your dream, the visions of your head upon your bed is this. And then he begins to explain. You, your majesty, your thoughts upon your bed arose about what will be after this, and the revealer of mysteries made known to you what will happen. But as for me, this mystery was not revealed to me because of wisdom that is in me more than in any other living beings. Rather, now in parenthesis, that is deduced in the Hebrew language or the Aramaic that is spoken here, verses in the English. It was revealed to me so that the meaning may be made known to your majesty and so that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, your majesty, were looking and there was a very large statue. That statue, which was large and whose brightness was extraordinary, was standing before you and its appearance was frightening. The statue, its head was of fine gold its chest and its arms were of silver, its abdomen and its thighs were of bronze, its shins were of iron, and its feet were partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued to look until a stone was cut, but not with human hands. It struck the statue on its feet that were of iron and clay, and it smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed simultaneously and became like the chaff on the summer threshing floor. The wind lifted them, and no place could be found for them. However, the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. This is the dream, so we will tell its meaning before your majesty. You, your majesty, are king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. In all the places where the sons of man, the beast of the field, and the birds of the sky dwell, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold." Now after you, another kingdom will arise that is inferior to you. Then another, a third kingdom will arise that is of bronze and that will rule the entire earth. A fourth kingdom will be strong as iron, since iron crushes and shatters everything. So like iron, the smashes, it will crush and smash all of these. And because you saw feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. It will have some of the firmness of iron because you saw iron mixed with common clay. Moreover, the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay. 
meaning that part of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. Because you saw iron mixed with common clay, they, the different parts of the kingdom, will be mixed among the seed of man and they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will the kingdom be left to another people. It will crush and end all of these kingdoms, but it will be established forever. Just as you saw that from the mountain, a stone was cut, but not by human hands, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to your majesty what will happen after this. The dream is sure, and its meaning is certain. Then then King Nebuchadnezzar fell face down and paid homage to David. He commanded that a gift and incense be offered to him. It should be Daniel, sorry, to Daniel. To those of you who are following the notes, it should be Daniel. Sorry about that. I do make mistakes. He commanded that a gift and incense be offered to him. The king said, Truly your God is God of gods, Lord of kings, and revealer of mysteries, because you were able to reveal this mystery. The king promoted Daniel to a high position and gave him many great gifts. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel sought from the king, and he appointed over the service of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel remained in the royal court. Interestingly to see, if you look at verse 47 and tell me, what does that remind you of? The king said, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. There's a part in the service where we say, um, true God of true God, you got not. That's from yeah. the creed, Nicene no. Creed, but specifically. Wasn't there, wasn't there somebody that said it at the crucifixion? Well, the, no, at the crucifixion, the uh, centurion said, truly, this is the Son of God. Son of God. Yeah. No, but we, this is the title the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that's attributed to Jesus Christ. Even the heathens, you remember at the end of time, the heathens will say truly this is the Son of God. And so even a heathen who does not know who this God is, is stating this is truly the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you look at um, Psalms chapter, Psalm 1, not chapter 1, Psalm 1, it's uh, uh, the Lord laughs at the nations who are trying to fight against him. So, so he's the king of kings and uh, lord of lords. So let me just kind of highlight a few of the notes. Again, that's from Dr. McKenzie that uh, has so given. at that point, did he, he still didn't believe, though? No, because look what but it says. says. Right, but look. Um... Notice, look at verse 47 again. Look at these words. 
the king said, truly, your God is God of God. Okay? He doesn't say he's my God. It's the same things. And God's is plural. Correct. Right. God's. But, but uh, here's another thing, too. When... When Saul, the first king of Israel, in first, uh, yeah, in first um, Samuel, um, I want to say chapter nine or ten, where um, Saul uh, asks um, Samuel to come and um, consecrate the meal before they go to war, and he delays. And he says, I waited till, till you come so you can pray to your God. I mean, even Saul, who's the king of Israel, rather than say to pray for our God, you know, I, I wouldn't say to you, well, you pray to your God. No, so let's pray for our God, right? So even the wordings, subtle wordings right there that just appear to say, your God, right? It's kind of like your truth. Well, this is kind of what you have right here. Okay, so... Textual notes from the, um, Dr. McKenzie here. Not with human hand. This sentence implies that no humans, but God himself hewed the stone. It's the same as in verse 45. Daniel will go in to interpret the stone as the one who brings and establishes God eternal kingdom, which cannot ever be destroyed. And remember um, in um, Exodus, as well as Leviticus, uh, we have, uh, we're talking about water came out of the rock, right? The, and what, what do we call Jesus? The rock eternal, right? And it says in First Peter, um, those who are established on this rock will remain forever, but the, if the rock will uh, fall on you, it's going to crush you. So you see the evidence right here. And the kingdom will have no ends, and you have that also in, um, you have that also um, in Solomon's, um, would be First Kings chapter 8, when Solomon prays to the Lord and the Lord says, I will give you a son who will sit on the kingdom that will never end. Psalm 110 is the same thing. So we do see the power of God's kingdom. It will never be destroyed because it's, it's not going to be made by human hand and you cannot destroy God. Uh, was cut, in parenthesis, the implication of the statement means that this action was performed by God. This refers to God's salvation accomplished in Christ with, without the aid of any other human intervention. This is why we talk about the salvation that is being worked only through Jesus Christ. There's no decision on man's part. I was doing my devotions this morning and I read the word, and I had to pause as I was reading out loud in Matthew, where Jesus cries out to God, Father, I don't want to go through. He's in the garden. He's facing the sentence. He's praying, and he says to his heavenly Father, Father, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And I, it took me time to pause and reflect. Jesus knows what awaits him, but he's trusting that God's method is the best method. And he commits that completely to the dictation that God only will intervene and no one else. Because in Scripture, in First Peter, as well as in Acts chapter 2, it says by the great sermon of Peter in chapter 2, 
that the Lord raised Jesus from the dead, right? We have that. The Father raised him from the dead. But on the other hand, we have another place where it says, Jesus rose from the dead. So, all the Trinity are involved in creation. All are involved in the death. All are involved in the resurrection. So, they are intermixing here. Uh, verse 37, Daniel acknowledges that God has given to King Nebuchadnezzar a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. This verse, along with 1 Chronicles 29, 11, may be an Old Testament model for the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. You remember? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Uh, actually, that's not in the original. That was added later. We do know that for a fact. So, uh, throughout Daniel, these kingdom, power, strength, and glory are God's to give or take away. Because God establishes the kingdom. If you remember that even the kingdom of Israel was taken away from Solomon's son, right? Because God told him. And uh, for Saul, when he uh, asked Samuel to come, and he says, no, I'm not going to. So he grabbed his uh, mantle and as he um, pulled on him, it tore. And the Lord said to Saul, uh, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord has rent the kingdom from your hand. So he gives the power and he takes it. This is why we pay close attention to government because there's no government, even a wicked government has been established by God. Uh, go to Isaiah. And you'll hear, uh, I, I think it's Isaiah 45, where it talks about King Cyrus, right? King Cyrus, he's the one who releases the Jews to go back from Babylon back to Israel with Jeremiah. So, you, uh, Nehemiah, excuse me. Nehemiah, not Jeremiah. Nehemiah. So, only God establishes power. Only God establishes kingdoms. Only God removes these from people. You may think you are doing all of this on your own. This is why I said in the prayer, I don't know if I said in the prayer, maybe, I don't remember now, or in the Bible study, where I said, it really doesn't make a difference who's going to be the next uh, president of the United States of America. Humanly speaking, everyone has a preference who they want, but ultimately it's God's will, regardless of what will happen, because God can use even a jackass, excuse me, uh, to speak. So in his kingdom of economy, we trust him because he sees all things we don't. We only see certain tunnel vision. So um, verse 38, the Aramaic verb behind to make someone ruler over carries God of heaven as the subject and Nebuchadnezzar as the suffix. Isn't it interesting that we notice these things in the details? The context is king here. God of heaven is the mover and shaker of the Babylonian kingdom. Even though, even though the king may think he is an authority and power and rule and everything else, it really is God who is in charge, not the king. In verse 41, the phrase literally reads, clay of the mud as opposed to a fine grade of clay. Now, this is way too much for us to know, but to suffice is it's not a good quality, okay? That's very helpful for us 
Verse 43, they, the different parts of the kingdom, will be mixed among the seed of man, is a difficult to understand phrase and is unusual. Some take it to indicate intermarriage among various ethnic groups in the fourth kingdom. However, it is overforcing the text. Uh, the author, who I kind of sought out to help with this study, is to realize that there are some things in the scripture, even scholars, even those who know the language better than I do, say some things are not clear. What do you mean by that, overforcing? Uh, trying to put the, something on the text that is not really there. For example, very soon when you go through the four kingdoms, the Gog and Magog, all of a sudden they'll say, oh, it's Russia or a different kingdom. Could it be? possible. I don't know. You know, so we take, normally our hermeneutical principle is how we understand scripture. The clear scripture clarifies the unclear. And some things we just don't understand. Even Paul, in all of his things, says, I went to the heavens and I saw things that I don't know how to explain to you. You know, why did God does not give us all of the details? I don't know. So, um, 44, literally a kingdom that forever will not be destroyed. Think of that sentence. And if you look at Matthew and Mark and John and Luke, Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Who's the kingdom? Jesus, who is the king, Jesus, who is the Lord over this kingdom. It's Jesus. That's why at the end of time, all knees will bow. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 2. God exalted him above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bow down. We as Christians, you've heard me say this before, willingly, willfully, and joyfully, and faithfully, we will bow before the throne of grace. However, those who are unbelievers, they will be forced to bow before God. They won't do it willingly then. Well, they, they, have, no, they, they have no I mean, they have no choice. We will bow because we are following him right now. We know what the truth is. The truth sets us free. So we believe in the truth because our eyes is on the truth, which is Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, think of, I think of that often when I drive on Minnesota, and sometimes on cliff I see it. The atheist, there is no God. I wonder what, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, you kind of want to be greedy, but you hate to say I want them to go to hell, but you just wonder when they realize and wake up to say, I have been duped. What is the look on their faces going to be? That's what I think about these days when I see the evil in our world. And I think, what is to be like to be the, in darkness like that? I have no idea. I, I, are we going to look down on them and say, oh, no, no, no. And, and that's we won't, I, we can't. I've always wondered on, you know, when they bow, 
I mean, I don't, we don't know. Will they bow? They're forced to bow, but will, at that point, will they cry out and say, save me, I was wrong? There's no chance. There's no chance. Rose and uh, Kim, could you guys hear what Catherine was saying? Kind of. Okay. She said, at the end of time, when the Lord returns, will these people who do not know the Lord will kneel down by force? Will they say, sorry, we made a mistake, uh, help us, and all of that? I personally don't believe that. And I'll give you a biblical proof for that in just a moment here, and we'll go there in just a second. Only because there is um, the second death, and that's the eternal death. When we die, you're either with Christ or you're not with Christ. At the end of judgment, we're all going to be raised up. And those who believe will be put on the right hand, and those who don't will be put on the left hand. Let me, let me take you for just a moment to, um, uh, I want to take you to uh, Luke 16. Let me take you there for just a moment. Luke 16. Go to verse 19. I'll share that with you a little bit. And it's toward the end, but you need to have the context. I'll give everybody a chance to get there. There was a rich man. Are you there? No, not yet. Okay, just a moment. Luke 16, verse 19. Okay. Okay. I want you to realize a couple of things before we start. The rich man and Lazarus. The rich man is not mentioned by name. Lazarus, whose name means God is my helper, is mentioned. Okay? So, uh, this is the same word, uh, Azaria, which is in the uh, story with Daniel and his buddies. Okay. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what, what fell from the rich man's table. More even, moreover, excuse me, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Abraham's side means uh, um, like heaven, that's the normal way to understand that. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, which is hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. This is kind of what you were getting at a moment ago, Catherine. Well, they cry for mercy. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. 
And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from here to us. So let me stop here for just a moment. Anybody thinks that there are spirits that can travel back and forth and talk to you like Houdini did or anything? This debunks any of that theories. Anybody that tell you that they can talk to the spirits and they're going to come back and see you? This tells you there is no way because there is a huge chasm between them and us and there is no way they can cross from one place to the next. Okay? So forget that. So uh, then he Are goes... Are talking about people who say they go to heaven and come back? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I don't know about that. I'm talking about like, you know, you see on um, television sometimes, mediums. They'll call the mediums and they can come. Oh, they're talking about your aunt or whatever. And it's all... It's all money-making. But, um, so he said to him, there is a chasm between us uh, and you. And then notice these words now in verse 27. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now, Moses and the prophet means the Old Testament Hebrew scripture. So he says, they won't listen to somebody. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's, it's very telling. Scripture does not lie. You have the opportunity because God's word is very clear. Right now, before your very eyes, this word is so clear. I don't need the, Old, I don't need the New Testament to believe in Jesus. It's all over the Old Testament. Okay, in the Hebrew scripture, it's full of gospel. I hear constantly, oh, it's the law, it's the law, it's the law. It's not law, it's full of gospel, but people don't catch that because they're so accustomed to reading it in the New Testament. However, with these words, Abraham's saying to him, listen, they have the scripture. If they don't believe the scripture, oh, it's archaic, it's old, it was written, then they have shut the door at it, whereas right here, they're saying, wait a minute, no, this is where the truth is going to be found. It's not going to be found by somebody who's dead. Because if that happened, they said, well, are you sure you were dead? Really? You know? So, when you read this, this is why I say uh, to you, Catherine, to your question, uh, knowing full well what God's word does, because the word of God is efficacious. It will never come back to us empty. You can look at Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. You know, my word will never come back empty. It will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. So when you think of the word of God, it will accomplish what he sent it for. Some people says, nope. I'm not going to read it. There's nothing there that's good. I don't believe it because they shut the door. One of these days, God will shut the door for heaven for them.
If they don't believe now, they're not going to believe at the end of time. You're not going to get a second chance. Thank you, because I have a relative who is a believer, but she has unbelieving um, relatives. And we, we got on this subject one day, and I, she doesn't read the Bible. I mean, she hears it when she attends church, and I, she said he'll get a second chance. I said, no, he won't. Yeah. And I pointed her to Luke. It's appointed she, to man she, to die once. She would not. You know. She got mad at me. Well, and I, I, all you can do, yeah. though, all you can do is communicate in a very yeah. loving way. Yeah. Search the scripture, John five thirty nine. Search the scripture, for they testify about me. Search the scriptures, because they testify about me. If you don't take time to study the scripture, you will never find out about God. Because God doesn't just come up and puff air or appear like a spirit. You know? Yeah, rub the, yeah, rub rub the, the joint. Okay, so um, uh, let me go back to our handout on page 7. Uh, again, we're going through the explanation. Uh, verse 46, paid homage to Daniel. The verb behind paid homage refers to the worship of idols. Notice that insight. Here, the worship of a person is in harmony with the pagan religion of the king. This is why earlier he says, to your God is the only God. So he, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he is one among many of the gods out there. So he, he sees Daniel as a god then? No, he does no, not see Daniel as a god, but... He bows before him as one of the gods, so to speak. He doesn't see him, but he, the way he bows before him, it's almost like, let's take the elections right now. Some people think if uh, Trump is going to go in, the world is going to be so much better, they treat him almost like a god. Something that if Biden gets in, the world's going to be so, be so much better, he's like a god, okay? And the warnings we have, whether Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, it doesn't make a difference. God in his holy word says, do not put your trust in princes or in the horse of a prince. Don't put it wars or powers or anything. They're all going to fade. There's no one who is righteous, not one. There's only one that we can trust, and that's Christ himself, and he's the only hope we have. If we put our hope in him alone, we will be satisfactorily happy. If you think about all of the things that are going on right now, think of the early Christians who were persecuted for the sake of the kingdom. And I've shared some of those with you, whereas uh, Dr. Paul Meyer in his book, The Fires of Rome, uh, one event, they burned 800 Christians at the stake so that they can have fun in the evening while they're watching the games of the gladiators. They had 800 people hung, hanging on a post 
put oil on them, lit them up so that the whole theater can be done. So where was God in all of these things? He was still there. What's it called? The fires of Rome? Yeah, the, um, the fires of Rome. Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me. Nero started that, but he claimed the Christian. Okay, so... Um, let's let's kind of dig into here and see what is going on. What is Daniel's solution to the challenge that Nebuchadnezzar gave? Look at the handout or the question I gave you. What is Daniel? Uh, what is Daniel's solution to the challenge that Nebuchadnezzar gave? Well, that is that's what he did. Uh, what is Daniel's solution to the challenge? Very good. He went directly to the one who has the authority to give the answer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, yesterday I got a phone call from a brother pastor. He's not from our denomination, but um, he says... I was praying, and you came to my mind, and I've seen you in action, and I have, an, I, I have something that I like to run by you because you are a wise man, and I thanked him for that. And so uh, he said, a brother did this that kind of uh, caused me some pain and havoc and stuff like that. And I says, you know, I don't know what his intentions were, But this is what I will tell you. In Matthew 18, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and talk to him. Mm -hmm. I says, most people don't do that because it's easier to talk to Oh, So I'm going to come to Michelle and say, you know, that Catherine Totten. If if she does this again, I'm going to just, I'm just using this as an example. But rather than going to Kathy and say, you know, Kathy, what you said has affected me. And it's hard, but it is so helpful to do that. You know, so when people come to me and say, you know what they said? I says, I really don't want to know. Have you talked to them? And so later on, he called me back. He said, Brother Noor, thank you for the wisdom you have given to me. You go to the source. And in this case, for Daniel, who is the source? The God of gods and Lord of lords or the King of kings. Okay, so he goes directly to the one who has the authority to do that which is necessary. Okay? He sought God out. Um, We're we're talking about uh, Reformation coming up Sunday. I was preparing for my sermon, my research stuff, which... You know, I take, uh, I take a great thing. Uh, Luther was asked to recant. So they asked him, and he said, you know, I can't do this on the spot. I need 24 hours so that I can talk to Dad. Think about that. His life is on the line, but he says, I need time to reflect and talk to the Heavenly Father. And then, of course, 
we know the great quote, which will be in the bulletin as the thought of the week. Um, I cannot recant. Here I stand. God help me. I can do no other. Okay. But why did he do that? Because he trusts in God. Generally speaking, not all the time. Generally speaking, we go to God as the final, um, as the last resort. That would be the key word that I want to use. It's almost like you buy a toy that you need to assemble, right? And you start putting it all together, and you get to the point, where does this go? Go back to the instructions. Go back to the instructions, Right? And you realize, had you gone to the instructions first, you wouldn't be in this mess right now. And if people were to go to God immediately to say, Lord, help me, guide me, direct me, lead me, then you will see the wisdom that is necessary. And earlier on in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, we talked about the relationship of Daniel. One of the things I highlighted in chapter 1 was when the, these young men were brought in, they were given the assignment, dietary assignment of eating the king's food. You remember that? And I told you it shows the character of these men that they had enough confidence in God to say to the steward, to say, listen, Give us a try for 10 days. If what we are eating is not beneficial, then put us on that food. But let us try what we were eating before. That intimate relationship with God allows you to have the intimate relationship this way. And that's key. And you've seen me do this when I do the Ten Commandments, right? When I do the Ten Commandments, Commandments 1, 2, and 3 deal with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the others deal with man. And so if your relationship with God is good, then your relationship with man is good. Okay? And so it's very helpful for us to remember these. So now, uh, question two, you fill in the blank. Daniel commonly asked for an audience before the king. Look at the text, and that should help you find out the answer to that question. You want me to guide you to the verse, or? Uh... I can get that. I, I don't. Well, look at your no. Look at your scripture. Verse twenty-four. Very good. You got the name. Ariach. Yeah. By Ariach, Daniel confidently asked for an audience before the king. Look at verse 24 one more time, please. So, in verse 24, we say, As a result of this, 
Daniel went into Aria, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will explain the meaning to the king. Now, to explain to you why he had to ask rather than go in there. Why? Why did Daniel have to ask before he stepped into the king's court to talk to him? Well, he, wasn't he the commander? Right, the... but why couldn't Daniel just go in there on his own? Because he has to be invited to talk to the king. You are getting hot. I'll you put it there. You don't just go in and talk to the but king. But why? You are getting hotter. Why? Like in Esther, you know, you would be killed. You will be killed instantly. Why? Because if you came to your own to the king, there might be the chance you're going to do harm for the king. Right. And so the soldier would have taken you out instantly. Right. Mm. So you're, if you're not invited to the king, yeah, I mean, if I were to approach right now President Trump, what do you think the security guards... Uh, what what are they called? Uh, Secret Service. Secret Service. What do you think they're going to do to me? Boom. Yeah. Or knock me out. They are responsible for the president's life. They are to take a bullet for him if they see the weapons coming out, right? In the king's palace, and if you've ever watched any of the English movies... There's the king, and there are the soldiers who are on the guard before anybody comes into the courtroom. So had Daniel walked on his own to see the king, more than likely he would have never made it past three feet. So he went to the proper channel to Ariah, who was the one given the command to destroy all the wise men. And he says, wait, before you do this, take me to the king. So Ariah had a relationship with the king. He says, uh, Your Majesty, I want you to listen to this Israelite. So it is very helpful. You know, we often talk about context, right? Context is queen. King, culture is queen, and Christ is the center. And as you look at it from the broader picture, you see how the leadership is going on in here. So it is very important. Did you say, I don't know, a month or so ago that even the king's wife, Correct. the queen, would be killed? Right, yeah. yeah. Like we talked about in Esther. Yeah. And maybe we'll do that after this one. But in the book of Esther, uh, her uncle Mordechai specifically asks her to go and see the king. And she says, I'm not invited. If I were to go, I might die. And then, of course, <coughs> he, he talks about the, <coughs> excuse me, he talks about the great verse that we have memorized, many of us. Who knows if God did not put you in the kingdom for such a time as this? This is Esther 4.14. 4, so who knows if God did not put you specifically for this? 
She finally does go, and he grants her the invitation to come in, but you just couldn't come unless he sends for you. Because the king, in their view, was the god of that kingdom. You think of all of the movies, of uh, the English movies with kings and queens, it's the same things. Unless the king sent to them, they couldn't go and see him. And the, I, like I, then the commanders knew knew their lives. Their lives would be on the line too. Of course, if they allowed someone in there, the, oh, Ariok would be yeah. in big trouble. Indeed. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Or if not him, those who are standing guard at the door. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, you think here too. Now in our daycare, we have everything secured, right? We don't let just anybody come in. Why is that? Because people trust us in this facility with children, and you just don't open the door just for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. It's just common sense, godly counsel. So, okay. Uh, look at verse, uh, question three, and we will close with this one uh, right now. How would you describe Daniel's attitude? Confidence. I couldn't have used any better words than you just did. He's confident in the sense of what God has given to him. And I like that word confident because he took God at his word. He didn't say, did this? Are you really thinking this is exactly how it's going to happen? No. He was confident enough that what the Lord has revealed to him was actually going to happen. And he is revealed and he's given that thing, that wonderful gift. And so it's very helpful for us. And if you look at uh, Genesis uh, toward the end, uh, thirty-nine, chapter 39 following, when Joseph is in uh, Egypt in slavery, he's also given the opportunity to explain to the king what the dream is. On, the, on that side, Joseph is actually told, but then he interprets the dream because God revealed it to him. And he comes and he says to the king, this is exactly what's going to happen. And you should choose somebody who is wise to take care of this ministry and um, care for it. And so it's very helpful to see the context of the king. And this is, this is why I love to teach Bible study, because I go from one place to the next to see all of the dots, how they connect with one another. Because you look at something and say, well, I don't understand it, but what does it say somewhere else here? So that kind of explains this right there. So let's stop right here. Are there any questions or comments that you may have? In this, in this, correct. Uh, uh, Michelle asked that in this portion of the Word of God, uh, God revealed both the dream and the interpretation. Because if you remember in chapter one, he had the dream, but it didn't, he would not tell them what the dream was. In Genesis, the dream was told to Joseph, and Joseph gave the explanation. 
which shows you again, God can do anything. He's not limited. Because if you remember in the earlier chapter of chapter 1, the soothers and the wise men, those who understand all of this, says it's impossible. There's no God on earth. I think I highlighted that the last time. There's no God on earth can tell you these things. Meaning what? There's a God in heaven. Even though they don't acknowledge that, but there is a God in heaven. So... All right. Yes, Kathy. Can we thank God for my good news? Absolutely. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have so much good news. The good news of our salvation that has been procured through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. But we also have many other good news, specifically the good news that the tumor is gone from Kathy's head. And we pray, O oh Lord, that it will continue to go and will never come back. Thank you for allowing her to have safety in travel with her friend, to go back to Rochester and come back home safely. We also thank you for the health that you've given to Tina, that she has improved to go back home, as well as Pastor Struzenbaker and his wife, Vanda, and Pastor Cook. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with all of those who are still affected with the coronavirus. We think of your servants, Lord Joel and Gloria, my son Tony, uh, Chad Zinnel, the district president's ba uh, manager, business manager, Julie Pike, the administrative, Darren and Susan Olson, Lord, and the many others who are still affected. Bless them kindly, O oh Lord, with your grace and with your blessing, and restore them quickly. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to study your word. Be with us as we head home. Grant us safety. Keep us alert and guide us by your grace. To that end, hear us for the sake of Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Do you know, like, Dave and Tina live in Sioux Falls? No, Rod and Tina. Rod and Tina.